This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Now that the pastors of the cults are seeing the noticeable decrease in their congregations and are fielding the many calls of questions regarding the many things that Branham claimed that have been proven false, their sermons also have noticeably changed. You see, for years, many of us enslaved by the cult of William Branham sat listening to what we were told were sermons, and those public speeches were in honor and commemoration of a man that we believe to be a prophet of the Lord. Many of us have heard these stories that are now under question over and over and over behind the pulpits, some with some strange repetition that we ourselves did not even recognize. But now, as the congregations are starting to awaken, the sermons have changed quite a bit. In many sermons, the focal point is no longer William Branham. The focal point has quickly became the fear that their churches are falling apart. And that that fear is increased with vain repetitions of the men and women who left the church in days gone by. And they're no longer alive. Sermons that used to be about one dead guy are now about many dead people. It's odd, really. Before Branham was exposed as a false prophet, very little of the Bible was taught. Instead, pastors proclaimed what Branham said about the Bible. And as many of us have noticed, more often than not, what he said was entirely different than what the Bible actually said. But the pastors used to proclaim that the Bible was their absolute, and that it lined up perfectly with William Branham's message. William Branham made a few boastful statements, telling others that if any prophecy did not happen like he said, we could post a sign on his back that said false prophet. And cult pastors have taken this a step farther in days gone by by saying that if William Branham was not the prophet for this day, then we could put a sign on their back false teacher. And rightfully so. If they were retelling false teaching, then that absolutely makes them false teachers. But now that so many of William Branham's prophecies are under question, 
And now having realized that he never even mentioned the six or the seven prophecies of 1933 until the 50s, you won't hear boasting from any of the pastors. Their faith in what they call the prophet has been shaken. Few have caught it, but their faith in William Branham is not the only thing that has been shaken. While telling their congregations for so many years that the Bible was the absolute, the undeniable truth, they're taking a much, much different approach with their sermons. The Bible has discrepancies, they say. I'm in amazement of this, because in all of Paul's letters, his instruction to the church was to lift one another up in faith and in love. And how can we be lifted in faith when the shepherds in the places of worship are preaching questions instead of answers? One cult pastor from Johnson City, Tennessee has been quoted saying, There's no proof that God is real. And that same man preached an entire sermon defending the false prophet, and his entire defense was nothing more than showing his congregation what he called discrepancies in the scriptures. In other words, the Bible has error, so my prophet is allowed to have error too. I'm in amazement that cult followers are swallowing what they're being spoon-fed. It's as if they don't remember those same pastors telling them that the word of God was undeniable. In the new church I attend, the Bible is proclaimed as absolute truth. And in our Sunday schools, instead of retelling stories of how great our pastor was several years ago, they instead examine scriptures with a fine-toothed comb to prepare the congregation to defend their belief in Christ. Picture an army getting ready for battle and the general giving his advice to the troops. You're going to go fight a great battle today, men. Good luck. I'm not giving you any weapons. That's what these cult pastors are doing regarding the Christian faith. Their weapons that, that they're given are not weapons to defend the Bible and proclaim Christ. Their weapons given do nothing more than tell us how some dead guy was a good guy when he was not dead. Let's pretend, just for argument's sake, let's pretend that William Branham was not a serial liar, a false prophet, a false teacher. Let's pretend that his ministry did proclaim the coming of Christ, just as John the Baptist did in days of old. John the Baptist proclaimed that he must decrease so that Christ should increase. The messenger is not the object of worship. Christ is. If William Branham were really this person that these cult pastors proclaim, they would not have looked backwards for all of these years to some dead guy. They would have looked forward to the risen guy, the Son of God, the one who is coming to catch his bride away. There's, no, there's absolutely no way to prepare the cult followers with the armor that their pastors are denying them in this one single post for one single day. They should be getting their preparation every Sunday and every Wednesday over the course of several years. In fact, I am behind the game, having sat into, in a memorial service for some dead guy for 37 years of my life. But compare their argument of showing the congregations these Bible discrepancies 
with actual Bible history. History in which they have absolutely no understanding in what they're even saying. You see, Branham was just one man, and the Bible is filled with great men of old. If we replace the Apostle Paul with William Branham, what if fake Apostle Branham told the Thessalonians that he saw a light in the wilderness, and that light was Jesus Christ? And then he told the Colossians that that light was not in the wilderness, but it was in the city of Rome. How silly would this be? Two men may have two different understandings of the stories, but the same man will not tell you different stories of an experience that is so supernatural that not a single person in this world would ever forget it. Compound that with the history of the scrolls, which few pastors even understand. Long before pen and paper, scrolls were copied by hand for reproduction. And with each new copy, a new family of Bible began. And those scrolls were copied throughout history. Some copies were better than others, having little mistakes. A common misconception in the cult of William Branham is that God protected the words, plural. And I use this word misconception only because the focus is in the wrong place, the words, not the word of God, the words written on paper. Even the King James Bible had error. And that version that they read from behind their pulpits is not the same version in 1611 when it was originally produced. God protects his word, W-O-R-D, not the human words of language that comprised his word. There's enough evidence in the words that differ from family of scroll to family of scroll that we can be assured that every single hand that touched the Bible was a human hand. And the Bible that we read is not written from one single scroll. It's written from multiple scrolls. This method of handing down the Word of God comes from generation to generation and was very prone to error. And with all of the families of scrolls, the only way to gleam the authentic text was to compare the scrolls for common passages. With the progression of changing text due to either human error, changes in the understanding of the language, or devious minds, finding authentic text became a, a challenge. So Bible canons were formed. And the word canon meant something to be measured. Men spent weeks, months, and years comparing texts from the different families of the scrolls. And if the text was found to be authentic, it was included in the Bible canon. And while many do not even realize it, Martin Luther attempted to remove the books of Hebrews, James, Jude, and Revelation from the canon. Even more amazing is that the original King James Version included the Apocrypha, a set of books containing Jewish history between the death of the last prophet and the coming of Jesus Christ. Had those books been included in the King James Version still today, followers would have quickly noticed that many of the prophecies that William Branham pointed to his own age, to his own ministry, were actually fulfilled after the death of Malachi and before God sent his son, Jesus Christ. Through the Middle Ages, the most common Bible canon was the Latin Vulgate. For most Western Christians, this was the only Bible that was easily accessible. 
The writers of this transla translation had great difficulty in understanding the Hebrew Masoretic text. You see, the Hebrew language had no vowels, which made it very prone to mistakes. And in the passage from Exodus, in which Moses returns to the people after receiving the commandments for the second time, the word karan, K-A-R-A-N, was mistranslated. Based on the root word K-E-R-E-N, notice the vowels, which means often means horn, this word was literally translated as horn. We now understand that word to be a better translation as shining or as emitting rays. But it was because of this mistake that Michelangelo's statue of Moses that now sits in Rome today <laughs> contains horns on his head. Even back then, men and women did not question the translations, translations or translators of Scripture, and they held the words of text literally as though those words were spoken by God into the translator's ear. The history of the scrolls can be told for days and days, several days and weeks. And if you have a clear understanding of the Bible, you have to understand this before you can even begin to understand how this Bible that you hold today came to be. And the Word of God, W-O-R-D, is clearly inspired and protected by God. God had in His hand the passing of His Word from generation to generation, down through time, so that it could be preserved for us today. And as many hands that were in the pot as we have throughout history, it's easy to see that if God did not protect His Word, W-O-R-D, we would have nothing but a complete mess. And again, this would have been a mess that was created by misunderstanding or misinterpreting the Word of God that was handed down through the ages. This is the exact opposite of searching for vindication, finding that William Branham lied about 16 men falling from the bridge, lying about the denying of the Pentecostal religion until God smote his wife and child by the flood, or the many other things that have been uncovered. You see, when a new scroll is uncovered, it proves God's word. As common text is found, it authenticates and it vindicates what we already know and believe to be God's truth. But as each new detail is uncovered about William Branham's life, it only stacks up against him. The more evidence that is uncovered, the more he sounds like either a charlatan or just a delusional man. And while these types of scriptures, speaking of the lawless one, are pointed to those examining this evidence by the cult pastors, we find that they fit like a glove when compared to William Branham's own ministry. Take 2 Thessalonians 2, for example. Paul says this, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or by a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. It's forgotten today, but many in the cult of William Branham thought that the day of the Lord had come back when he was alive. When he was buried, 
Hundreds traveled to Jeffersonville to see if he would rise from the grave at Easter. Others looked for the day of the Lord in 1977, a year that Branham claimed as divine revelation to be the end of the world. None of us searching for truth, not a single one, has pointed any person to a false end of the world. Only Branham did this. Paul continues, For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes the seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now that single verse, right there, is pointed at the, the seekers of truth, just because simply of the word rebellion. But not a single person has examined and exalted himself as God. None of us. None of us are to be worshipped. And we would sit down and we would have a talk with you if you decided to do so. But you see, William Branham twisted several scriptures that were supposed to point to Jesus Christ. He pointed those scriptures to himself and his own ministry. Even today, people will tell you and claim that William Branham is the fulfillment of Luke 17.30, exalting Branham into the title Son of Man. William Branham is not the Son of Man, and when the Son of Man is revealed to us, he will judge any person believing in any other Son of Man. Paul knew that this lawless one was coming, and he warns the people. Paul continues, Do you not remember that when I was sitting with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his own time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That's back then. It's already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And when the lawless one is revealed, whom the Lord Jesus Christ will kill with his breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Pastors use crazy fear tactics, scare tactics, of how the members in their cult churches left and how God smote them to the ground. But why do they forget that their fearless leader was also smote to the ground in a far worse disaster? It's almost as if God's breath blew that other car into William Branham's vehicle. For years, the rumor was spread that this accident was caused by some drunken driver. I urge any one of you to examine that newspaper article about the story of his death and find if that story about a drunken driver is there. In fact, if you compare the stories by, given by Perry Green, by Billy Paul, and many of the others, you'll quickly notice that none of them match. They do not want you to know that this could have been the hand of the Lord. The lawless ones are not the ones that are pouring into their Bibles examining history, and testing the prophet as the Bible instructs us to do. Paul tells us that the lawless one will come with signs and wonders. And I can assure you that none of us have any signs or any wonders. We'd like to take William Branham up on his offer to place that sign on his back, but that's a different kind of sign. 
and none of us are willing to even go near the grave of his rotting corpse. Listen to this next part by Paul and compare what sounds to be more likely. Those who are pouring to their Bibles or this guy who lied about God speaking through the heavens in front of 10,000 people while he was baptizing 500 people. Paul says this, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Notice that last part. Because they refuse to believe truth, God sends them a strong delusion. Why can you show the entire logbook from the Coast Guard emphatic proof that William Branham's prophecy of the Clark Memorial Bridge was a false sign, and they're still completely unwilling to listen? They're unwilling to believe in truth. Paul says that this is pleasure in unrighteousness, worldliness. Don't be that person that's taken captive by these arguments of the cult pastors claiming the word of God is false and it's filled with error. It has nothing to do with a man who lied to us. There are hundreds of books and websites that you can read written by real Christians who examine and study the word of God. And they try to help you understand how and why the translation that you use may raise some errors and some questions. But unlike these cult pastors, they also give the answers to these questions. I'm going to stop there and pause because think about it. You've got the pastors who present you with the questions. You've got the apologetics who show you the questions, but then they show you the answers. You'll quickly find that the sermons by these cult pastors give no answers. Why? If they give answers to the Bible questions, they must also give answers to the Branham questions. And they know that that cannot be accomplished. Oh.